Well, today we begin a brand new series, and it's going to last for five weeks, at least that's the plan right now, and uh, it's entitled Unusual. How many of you, by a show of hands, would say, I know some people who are pretty unusual. You know, If you don't have your hands up, stick around. I'll introduce you to the rest of your church family and you can raise your hands the next time I ask that question. How many of you would say, I know some people who are not just unusual, but they're unusual in a really good kind of way. You know some of those kinds of unusual people? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to, uh, as we introduce this series, we're going to be talking about being unusual in a really good way. And I'm just going to tell you, when you get to know Jesus, you can't help but recognize that he was one of the most unusual human beings who ever lived. And you can count on this with Jesus. If you become a follower of Jesus, I'm not talking about a marginal Christian who's looking to punch his or her ticket to heaven when they die. When you become a follower of Jesus, you can count on the fact that this most unusual human being who also happens to be God he will always make you unusual. Now, I'll tell you, when I was growing up as a kid, believe it or not, I was actually popular as a kid. Um, yeah, believe that if you will, I was. And, uh, you know, I'd be voted like class favorite. And, and I, looking back on it, I realized that God had wired leadership stuff into me from the time I was a little kid. I mean, I remember like kindergarten and first grade that other kids migrated to me. And, and I would without really meaning to. I would be the lead dog on the playground or wherever I was that other kids, you know, gravitated toward that. And so through grade school, life was good and, and, you know, things weren't very complicated. But then something weird, really weird, began to unfold in middle school and in high school. What I began to discover, and I still remember coming back from, you know, graduating up from grade school to middle school and coming back from that summer and, and you remember how things change when you hit middle school? Hormones kick into gear, and suddenly little kids that all got along well, all of a sudden they behave very differently, and they don't follow the same leads that they used to. And suddenly uh, there are all kinds of decisions that are being made about you know drinking and smoking and the language that you use and a million other things and what you're going to do with your body and with the opposite sex and all that kind of stuff. And I began to discover very fast in middle school and really in high school how unusual I was. I mean really, really unusual. And if you had known me in school, I assure you, you would have at best identified me as really unusual because I was. And, you know, some of that is a tough discovery to make because... When you're 14, 15, 16 years old, it would feel really good to fit in and have people like you. And I was very accustomed to people liking me, to being popular. And suddenly, I wasn't any of those things. I was just, you know, fairly unusual, leaning toward becoming very unusual and going rapidly down that road. I was unusual in lots of ways. I mean, some of the ways were the easy-to-define things in that when we hit that age where suddenly everybody wants to experiment with smoking and drinking and sex and just all that kind of stuff. Their language changes and suddenly now four-letter words are part of being cool. And I just didn't want anything to do with any of that stuff. I wouldn't try the booze and I wouldn't try the cigarettes. And, you know, when I'd be at a party and they'd start carting that stuff in, I would just immediately exit. I just didn't 
want to be a part of that. And so in terms of the predictable things like that, that was unusual because there weren't many of us who didn't want to run to, to the party scene and try all that stuff out. So I was unusual in those ways, but I was unusual way beyond that. I mean, looking back on it, I, and, and I knew at the time, man, I did not fit in at all. But I was extremely unusual in that I wasn't like trying to make a point, but I love the Word of God. And so when I was at school, I always had my Bible. And in my spare time, I love to read my Bible and to memorize Scripture. And I talked about my faith. And as a, as a middle schooler and high schooler, God had already stirred some things in my heart so that the one thing that I longed for more than anything else in life was to see revival come. And as a middle schooler and a high schooler, that was the thing that I was praying for. And I just believe there was no better place for it to start than in my church and in my school. And so I talked to my friends about my faith. I talked to my friends about Jesus. I would talk to teachers and to my principal about Jesus and about the Scriptures. And it went beyond that. I mean, I was really a weird kid. I can remember how every day in study hall I would get out my Bible and and I would study it. And there, there was one other girl in school. She was... I think she was two grades ahead of me. And I truly believe, bless her heart, I think she was the most unpopular girl in the whole school. She was very overweight. She wore thick glasses and wore the long, long skirts. And she always carried her Bible. And, and she just was socially really awkward. And I don't know of a single friend that she had in the school. And I was the freak that thought she was actually pretty cool. I, I would sit with her at study hall every day because... She loved Jesus. And I discovered the year that we had study hall together that she was a student of the Scriptures. And so we'd study the Bible together. And we'd memorize Scripture together. And I was kind of for a while immune to the fact that everybody else thought this was hilarious. That I'm sitting with this big girl that was considered so unattractive and unpopular and that we're reading the Bible together and we're excited about what we're reading. I'm telling you, I was a freaky, unusual kid. And I never outgrew it. Because I went to college and it was kind of more of the same at a college level. And then I got married and I graduated from college. And I'd been in church all my life, but you, you experience church in a different way when you realize that you're going into vocational ministry and you wind up on church staff. And I don't know that I ever fully appreciated what a, a weird bird I am until I was actually on the staff of some large, traditional, very successful churches and realized I don't fit. I don't even fit in with Christians. That's a weird feeling. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever just been in church with good people and you realize... I'm not like a lot of these people. I'm so flipping unusual, I don't even fit with Christian people. I mean, to the point that I had to come to the realization pretty early in my adult life, I'm either going to be, you know, create a train wreck in these churches if I stick around, or they're going to kill me. Because I don't fit with these places. I, I, I finally had to come to the realization, that's a big part of why God called me to be a church planter because I didn't fit with normal people in normal churches. Well, that's really an unsettling thought, a lot of what I'm sharing with you. We can sort of chuckle about that now. But a lot of those years, 
That's such a, a weird feeling. Like, man, maybe there's something wrong with me that I don't fit in with the friends I used to fit in with. Maybe, maybe I'm off course because in most churches, I don't feel like I fit in very well. And you know, over time, I've come to appreciate the fact that being unusual can be a really good sign. Some of you have wrestled with feeling like a misfit, a freak, a weirdo, just so unusual. And this is going to be a liberating series for some of you because following Jesus, it's guaranteed He's going to make you unusual. He's going to make a misfit, a spiritual misfit out of you. And that's okay because I'll guarantee you this. There wasn't hardly anything normal about Jesus or any of the apostles. Oh, the apostles, they started out very normal, and they ended up super abnormal. They were so unusual by the time they had hung out with Jesus for three and a half years. And today, the next month, we're going to be talking about living an unusual life and how it absolutely is a necessity if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, the theme passage for this series, if you've got your Bibles or you just want to pull out your outline, is uh, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus, late in the Sermon on the Mount, says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. How many of you know that most of the people who are around you, most of the people that you know, are on a broad road? It is a popular road. Many, many people are on this road, and it's the road for normal people. People who, in terms of how they do relationships, how they spend money, how they invest their time and energy, it, it's the normal way of doing these things. They have normal values. How many of you know that most of the people around you are normal people on the broad road? Right now, y'all are looking at me like I'm not real sure at all where you're going with this. Well, let me just clear it up for you. By the word of Jesus, that is the case. Unless you have a very, very select group of friends, most of the people that you know are on a broad road. Jesus said, it is a wide gate and a broad road that most people travel. Many are on this road, but it is a small gate and a narrow road that only a few find... <laughs> And that's what this whole series is about. It's about choosing to get off the main road. Choosing to get out of the, the flow of where most of the people around you are going and how they're living and doing so because you know that at the heart of the matter, Jesus is not just speaking figuratively. He's not just waxing dramatic when He says the broad road is the path that leads to destruction. Other translations say it is the path that leads to hell. We need to hear this, church. Most of the population of America is on a broad road. And it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with this road. You know why? Because it's the road that normal people are on. It is the most popular way of living. And, and right now I realize you're probably thinking, what do you mean by, by this road? I'm talking about a way of living a way of thinking, a set of values, and just ways of, of thinking about how you're going to live your life, how you're going to spend your time, how you're going to do relationships, how you're going to 
deal with your own sexuality and, and finances. All of these things define a way of living. Most of the people that we know have adopted a set of values and a lifestyle that seems normal. And we look at it and by and large think, well, it can't be that bad, can it? I mean, if you're not out killing anybody, if you're not you know, robbing banks, if you're not running around raping and molesting and harming children, I mean, it can't be that bad, can it? Jesus said most of the people that you know are on a path that leads to hell. Should that bother us? You think we ought to be a little disturbed about this? I think we ought to be searching the Scriptures going, what are you talking about? If most of the people that we know are on a path that's leading to destruction and most of those people, they're not hurting children, they're not robbing banks, they're not killing people, they're living lives that feel very normal. They just feel successful. They just feel American. They feel prime time. And Jesus says... This is the broad road. Most live on it. And you'd better choose a different path. What's that all about? What's this whole thing of, of living on a different path? Well, it's a path that Jesus says you're going to have few companions on. There aren't going to be a lot of people who will understand you. In fact, the normal people who live around you, they're going to look at you and at best they're going to view you as unusual I chose that as the title because it seemed like the nicest word we could use. I had to discard some others that would make the whole series even more unappealing. But uh, you know, they're, they're going to they're call you some names that go beyond unusual. Freak. Weirdo. Super Christian. Hyper spiritual. Holier than thou. They'll call a lot of different names. Not many will understand if you walk the road that we're talking about. But I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you through the course of this series to join me as we search the Scriptures, as we seriously dive in and ask the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Can I actually take this book seriously? Can I take the teachings and claims of Jesus seriously and live as a normal American? I think the answer to that is a clear no. I don't think Jesus would fit in in America for five minutes. I don't think he would fit in in the American church for five minutes. So would you, would you like to join me on that journey? It's, it's going to be a peculiar one because this guy Jesus had such peculiar teachings. Now, I just want to ask you as we're on the front end of this series, if you don't take even the Bible, all that seriously. I realize there may be some in the room, there may be some of you listening online right now, watching online, that maybe you're not at a place of knowing for sure what to do with the Bible. You may look at that and go, well, some of it I know is good teaching, and other parts I'm not sure what to do with. Okay, I'm not even going to assume that you believe the Bible. If you were to set the Bible aside, would you agree at, at least at a starting point that what's normal in America ain't working? That it is not working. I mean, think that through for a minute. Normal in America in terms of how we think about time and schedule. Holy smoke. Is that working? It's not. 
You know, the way that we think about time and schedule, well, you know, we just pack more in. We just, we've just got to do more. The normal American is fouled up because they don't get enough sleep. They're always under-rested, over-stressed. The average American family, parents spend five minutes per day with their children. Any kind of meaningful quality time with their kids. That is the average. So that means half of America spends less than five minutes a day with their kids. That's normal. Is that working? No. Normal when it comes to how we spend our money. Well, I mean, you know what normal looks like in America in terms of finances? Where we're leveraging all the, the credit and debt that we possibly can to support a lifestyle that we haven't earned enough to be able to live in. Financially, it's not working. We can just go on down the line in terms of you know, sexuality and values, what's happening in America today. Normal isn't working, so we need to look at a serious alternative. So here's the key concept for the series that you're going to hear again and again. If you want what normal people have, do what normal people do. And if you want what few people have, do what few people do. You believe that? That makes sense to you? Well, I know that's really simple. It's going to be a real simple series. Normal is fouled up. And if you want what normal people have got, then just go on and do what all your neighbors are doing. Do what your coworkers and classmates are doing because everybody around you is doing the normal thing. And if you want what they're getting, then just keep doing what they're doing. But if you believe there's something better, if you believe that there is a different life that involves something better, then you're going to have to do what very few people that you've ever known are willing to do. Are you willing to step outside what's normal? Are you willing to, to try something that few have got the courage to try? You're going to be branded as unusual, but I want to tell you some really unusual good stuff is going to spin off from this. You're going to experience unusual levels of peace if you'll try the narrow road. You're going to experience unusual levels of power, unusual levels of meaning, an unusual sense of purpose and direction in your life, an unusual level of impact through you, and you can't have any of those things unless you get off the normal track that most people are running to do something that is incredibly different. I know at the heart of what I'm saying, it both intrigues us and worries us. I know because it still does that to me. Because there's a part of me that just absolutely wants to run to, you know, what the few would do. I want to I travel the road that few have taken. I want to be bold and do whatever Christ wants me to do. But you know what? At the same time, I want to be comfortable. I want to fit in. I want people to like me. I, I, I want to be mainstream. You know, my heart's divided in that. You know what winds up just deciding it for me? Is just getting a good look at Jesus. And I realize I cannot fit in and follow Jesus. You ever just stop to think about the teachings of Jesus and how bizarre and unusual they are compared to anything that's normal in the world? I mean, can we just pause for a minute and just camp on that thought? Just the teachings of Jesus straight from his lips. You want to be first, you've got to be last. And oh, by the way, the last get to be first. Okay. You want to find your life, you got to lose it. 
You want to follow me? You have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. I know, 2,000 years later, we've watered that down to just be like, oh, that's just figurative talk. This is a guy who's fixing to go die on a cross in a world that would love to crucify everybody who was willing to follow him. Somebody gets mad and pops you good on one jaw, you turn to him the other one and let him have a shot at that one as well. Ooh, yeah, that's popular. Somebody compels you to carry their load for a solid mile, you carry it for two miles. When people curse you, you bless them in response. Hmm. When people treat you wrong, you forgive them. But how often? Seven times? No, 70 times seven. When people mistreat you, you bless them, you forgive them, you pray for them. You want to be a follower of mine, you can't be unless you're willing to give up everything you have. That's from the lips of Jesus. That's some weird teaching, isn't it? That is an unusual way of living. That doesn't sound anything like the world that I live in. I mean, what does the world that we live in teach? It doesn't teach what Jesus teaches. The world that we live in teaches, if you want to be happy, you ought to have more toys. And the way to have more toys is to hold on to stuff, to accumulate stuff. And Jesus says, give, and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. But you've got to give. That the key to being in a place of abundance is to give more. What? You've got to lose your life. You've got to choose not to be first when people take advantage of you. You've just got to turn the other cheek to them when they say, give me your coat. And Jesus says, well, you should give them your shirt as well when they take your coat. Isn't unusual a pretty light term for this kind of teaching? If you're a Christian, this is what you signed up for. This is the guy that you committed to follow. You know, quite honestly, I think at times we ought to give the hard teachings of Jesus to people when we're inviting them to become Christians because I think sometimes we set the bar too low and, and make it sound like it's just so easy. It's just all such fun and joy, joy, joy. There are a lot of popular guys on TV right now on Sunday morning preaching all over America how easy and wonderful it is. It's your best life. It's just going to be so good and so fun. It's going to be hard. The teachings of Jesus do not make for easy living. But man, they make for powerful, meaningful, impactful living. And I would dare say to you, if in our lives we don't see something that's really different, it's really unusual, if we just look like the rest of the world, we need to ask some hard questions about whether or not we have ever become followers of Christ, whether or not we are on the narrow road. There are two truths that... Uh, I'm going to share with you today, and that's, that's really it in the opening of the series. The first one is this, that in just fleshing out what we're talking about today, is that unusual people don't think like normal people. I want you to say that with me. Unusual people don't think like normal people. There you go. You realize that your behavior pretty much all stems from how you think. You want to change how you act, you've got to change how you think. And unusual people 
don't think like the world. They don't copy the behavior of the world. Unusual people are willing to choose different role models. They're willing to think for themselves. Paul said in Romans 12, 2, in the first half of that passage, don't live any longer the way that this world lives. Let your way of thinking be completely changed. This is the beginning of a transformed life when Jesus has come into you is that he begins to change how you think and how you look at the world. Uh, Peterson in the message in the full of that verse says this, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Boy, that's a scary thought, isn't it? To think, how many times do you just slide into what the culture would do without ever pausing to think, what would Jesus do? Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Wouldn't you agree that most of the people around you, most of the people that you know, do exactly what he's talking about in that opening line, that they fit in, that they follow along without even thinking about it before they do it? I mean, just think about the harmless little innocent ways that we'll do that we're, you know, we'll, we'll just go out and, and we'll spend a huge portion of our income for the year on something that's shiny and has four wheels and we never pause to consider that choice, that huge investment in light of what God would have us do and the amount of money that we'll spend on whatever, you know, the home that we live in or the car that we drive or, I mean, just so many different decisions that we make that we'll do it in the spur of a moment. It's like, well, it's not a moral decision, is it? Is it not? As a follower of Jesus, do we just get to go out and make huge investments of our time and our resources without pausing to say, what would Jesus do in the same situation? What would Jesus have me do or do we just follow the culture and go, well, this is the kind of thing that everybody else buys and lives in and drives and, and what they do with their time? I want you to, to pause and think with me as we're talking about unusual people and how they think differently from normal people. I want you to, to f- flesh this out with me in five different areas where unusual people think differently. And I want us to start by thinking, first of all, about how unusual people think about time as compared to normal people. This is what's normal when it comes to time. Normal people ask the question, can I do it? Can I do this thing that I kind of want to do over here? And they look at their schedule, and pretty much the answer is always yes. If I want to do it, I can do it. We can always make time for what we want to do, right? And the problem with that is normal people have their schedules already maxed out. And so when we see something else that looks appealing, it's like, oh, but I've, I've got to do that. I've got to, you know, I, I want my kids to be well-rounded, so they've got to do that. We've, we've got to get them in dance and, and in soccer and in 17 other activities, and I've got to be involved in all these activities because a full life is a happy life, right? We want well-rounded kids, and so we're running all over the place all the time, and they never pause to consider what it's costing, what's being given up in order to do that. Do you know what unusual people do as opposed to going, can I do that? They ask a very simple, different question. Should I do that? Am I choosing something good in place of something great by committing my time to this? What am I going to have to give up 
in order to do this. I mean, stop and think about it. How many times have we bought into the normal way of thinking that we said yes to doing something because it seemed like, well, that's a, that's a good thing to do, isn't it? That's a, that's a good other activity for our kids. That's another good thing to, to enjoy doing. It'd be fun to do that without ever pausing to consider, what am I going to lose time doing? Because if I commit an hour a week, a couple of hours a week to this thing, maybe several hours a week to this thing, and our schedule is already maxed out, okay, what am I going to give up to, to do that? Am I going to give it up in terms of sleep? No, I'm already at the absolute minimum on that, living tired all the time. So let's see, what are we going to give up? Well, we're probably going to have to give up some family time. We're probably going to have to carve it out of what's already shrunk down really, really tight. We're going to have to carve out something that really matters. Unusual people are always willing to say no. They're ruthless in saying no to good things to make sure that they can always say yes to the great things. They have a different perspective about how to evaluate the use of their time. Second area, money. And we're going to back up and talk about these in more detail as we go into future weeks, but... What's normal when it comes to money? I think I can sum it up for you in one word. In America, to be broke. That's what's normal in America, amen? Amen. Then you may look around and go, that's not true on the eastern shore. I mean, look at all the wealth of the eastern shore. I want to tell you the norm on the eastern shore is to be broke. That's the norm. And while we look around and go, but look at all these big houses and look at all these really expensive automobiles. Yeah, I know. They're all over the place. And guess who's driving them? And guess who's living in them? Broke people. People who have done what everybody at every income level in America is doing. Not everybody, but most everybody. The normal people, they're spending 100 to 105% of what they make. And enables a lot of people to live in nice houses and to drive nice automobiles and have nice furniture. And guess what they do? They live day to day or week to week or more commonly they live month to month. They live paycheck to paycheck. And even if they have a great big fat paycheck, guess what they're doing? They're operating with just a pass-through account. However much money they make in a given month, that's how much money passes through their account, and that's how much money, how many dollars in checks and and debit card uh, swipes that get used. It's just all pass-through money. We're maxed out. We believe that in America, however much money you make, that should define your standard of living, and we live broke. And if you don't think that's the case, let somebody be put out of work for a little while and see how quickly they are in a terrible bind that they cannot pay for their house, they cannot pay for their automobiles because we live thinking that it's normal to spend everything that you make. It's normal to be committed, maxed out. Would you agree? Is that normal for the people that you live around? It's normal in my neighborhood. Well, let's ask this question. How do unusual people look at money? I'll go ahead and take a step beyond that. won't speak in spiritual terms. How do wealthy people? I don't just mean people with big houses. I mean how do truly, unusually wealthy people look at money different from normal people? I'll tell you how they look at it differently. They don't think day to day. They do not think week to week or month to month. They think year to year and operate with a plan. 
they think decade to decade, and the really wealthy think generation to generation, and they work a plan accordingly. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not here to preach health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that you're all supposed to be rich, and I'm going to give you the trick to being rich. No, but I will say this. God loves for His people to live with abundance so that they give generously, not so that they can be hoarders and everybody have $10 million to sit on, but He loves to generously supply us so that we can generously supply the needs of others and use that to reach the world. And people who live broke all the time are rotten at this. People who are broke all the time don't have much impact on the world. And that's like, how can you say that? Touch Africa broke. Sure, you can pray for Africa, but you touch Africa, touch China, touch India, touch South America, living broke all the time. You can't do it. You want to make a tangible difference in places like Africa, Asia, South America. You better live a lifestyle where you handle your money in a way that there's margin, that there's some abundance, that there's something to work with that you can either send as resources or that you can use to send others or so that you can go. Unusual people don't think about money the way that normal people do. A third place that unusual people think differently is in terms of relationships. Don't you know that's a fact? What's normal in America when it comes to relationships? I can tell you what's normal on the eastern shore. Here's an example of normal. A mother and father who otherwise seem sane and rational will send their 15-year-old daughter out on a several-hour-long car date with an 18-year-old hairy-legged young man whose mind is held hostage by testosterone and who wants one thing from that girl when he goes out with her on a date and it is not a kiss. That's what normal does in America. That's what normal does on the eastern shore. It's insanity. Normal is not cutting it. Normal is when you're single, you go from one relationship to another, to another, to another, and instead of courting or just dating, by the time you go past two or three dates, you essentially lock into a pretend marriage. And in that pretend marriage, you do all the things that married people do. There are no boundaries. And when you've done that for a while and you get tired of each other or you see somebody that you like better, you hit some rocky patches, whatever, you get out of a pretend relationship by having a pretend divorce. And you do this again and again. And guess what happens when you actually finally one day get into a for real marriage? You'll usually mimic what you trained to do in all of your pretend marriages. Relationships are not working the way that they're done by normal people. Another area that you have to think differently if you're an unusual follower of Jesus is rethinking sex. Well, it doesn't take long to define what's normal in terms of sex in America, does it? Normal, I'm not trying to be dramatic, normal in America is that over the course of time, you have five or 10 or 15 or 20 or even a lot more sexual partners. Because if you, 
like somebody and if you feel really attracted to them, we can call that love. And so love makes it okay and you can give yourself physically away to them. I mean, after all, that, that is the norm today. I mean, it is a really old, outdated standard, isn't it, that you would you know, in any way save yourself. And so instead of saving physical intimacy for the person that you're going to spend the rest of your life committed to, you jump into one sexual relationship after another after another. Normal today is by the time you go out on a third date, it's time to go all the way. That's normal today. Unusual people do not think like that about sexuality. And then the fifth area that, that we'll point out that unusual people think differently is in terms of values. Now, we could spend a long time talking about this. I'm, I'm just going to touch on some of the key values in America today. That the one that, that trumps the list in terms of, of normal American values is the top is tolerance. Mark this down. Tolerance is always the last remaining value of a dying and bankrupt culture. You might as well write that down. Tolerance is always the final remaining value in any dying or morally bankrupt culture. You know what I'm talking about here. Tolerance that says, you know, it's, it's that one verse of the Bible that everybody can misquote. Judge not. You can't judge me. Even Jesus said, judge not. So that means we have to just let everything go. We can't judge anything as sin. What I think is wrong may not be wrong for you. What you think is wrong may not be wrong for me. There are no moral absolutes. So tolerance sounds like a virtue, though it is not when it's lived out this way. Tolerance is our way of saying, we don't want to have to confront anything, and we want the freedom to know that no one would ever confront anything in our lives. So let's just all be tolerant of everyone. How much of the political climate of our day is summed up with the word tolerance? Second value, greed. And I know nobody would ever use the word greed as a value, so you insert whatever word you want to that's easier for people to swallow, uh, accumulation or, or whatever it is. But when you think about what normal Americans value, don't you agree stuff has to be right there at the top of the list, near the top of the list? We value having more stuff. If that weren't true, we wouldn't have garages that we can't park in because they're so full of stuff. We have to have houses that three families could live in just to hold all of our stuff, and that's not enough. So we put these little metal storage buildings in our backyards, and they look too junky and cluttered. So we have to build these big storage facilities on about every third block in town so that everybody can have a rented storage facility for all of our stuff that doesn't fit in our houses and our garage and our storage buildings. Stuff, the accumulation of stuff, is a tremendous normal American value. Wouldn't you agree? It's a fact. Tolerance, greed, comfort. Again, you don't think of that in terms of a value, but when you think about what do Americans value, we want a life that's comfortable. That's part of the reason that we accumulate all of this stuff. We want to retire early. We want you know, the shortest amount of commitment to other things that are going to be uncomfortable for us so comfort is a value and the other thing that i would say would be among the top four or five values is independence 
This is a particularly American value, and it sounds so good. It sounds so positive. You know, we're an independent country. We're independent people. It's just such a, a part of how we define our thinking, this, this ideal of independence. It's interesting how that plays itself out. Independence means that I don't want anybody else having to depend on me. I don't want anybody else looking to me. I just want to live totally independent of anyone or or anything else. I I want to be free to spend my money how I want to spend it, to spend my time how I want to spend it, Just, just totally independent of everyone else. But think about how those four values stack up against the unusual followers of Jesus and their values. Tolerance. Tolerance, as the world thinks about it, has nothing to do with the teachings of Jesus. Teachings of Jesus are always that there are moral absolutes, that there is always absolute truth, that there is always right and wrong. And the teachings of Scripture, of Jesus, and of the apostles are very clear that we are to constantly make sound judgments about right and wrong, that we are confronted with ethical decisions, moral decisions all day long, and we are called to make right decisions. We are called to be discerning about brothers and sisters who make wrong decisions and who are doing so on a consistent basis. Jesus and the apostles called us, commanded us to be so discerning about right and wrong, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us who are brothers and sisters, that we would lovingly go to them and speak to them when they aren't living in line with the truth, that we would call them to repentance, and that if one-on-one that doesn't suffice, that we go back and with the company of two others, that we would, would reinforce that and we'd use the testimony of the whole church if we had to. Does that sound like tolerance that says anything goes and we dare not talk about any moral absolutes? Not at all. There's a clear right and wrong. The whole thing of greed, well, you don't even have to think about that one. I mean, the ethic of the New Testament is one of generosity. Give, give, give. God gives to us so that we can give to others. The ethic of uh, uh, the value of independence. Let's be clear about this. To be a follower of Jesus and to mature in your faith means that you become more and more dependent the more mature you become spiritually. More and more dependent upon God, less and less independent. More and more tied to people around you rather than disconnected and independent from because he never has children who are you know only kids he always wants us to be so interconnected that we are tied in dialed into the needs of others allowing them to supply us when we're in a in a time of need and freely us freely supplying others when they're in need the opposite of this concept of independence and Pursuing a lifestyle of comfort runs completely counter to the New Testament ideal, and that is you cannot embrace following Jesus without recognizing it is a lifestyle of self-sacrifice. I mean, could it be anything else? You can't follow Jesus without constantly having to choose to give up comfort and resources that you could have otherwise enjoyed, and you do so for the benefit of others because following Jesus is a lifestyle of self-sacrifice. I mean, who in the world wants to sign up for something where you know the sign on the line motto is, you cannot be my follower unless you deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me. That sounds a little bit like sacrifice, doesn't it? 
somebody sold us a bill of goods somewhere along the way, didn't they? Just pray this prayer. Get in the holy pool, get dunked in the holy water. Fill out the card, shake the preacher's hand. You are in. You did good. We're proud. Hallelujah. Somebody has been fully redeemed. Now, you go hop back in your very expensive vehicle, drive home to your house that is mortgaged to the max, and you go back to living your life where you spend all that you make on you and don't think a whole lot about your neighbors. You just live your life and be happy. But come to church on Sunday because that makes God really happy. Be a committed Christian. Drop a 20 on that plate when it goes by. Come to church. Feel better about yourself. If you really love Jesus, sing when that song leader gets up there and sings. Be a really committed Christian. Friends, that is not how followers of Jesus live. We've got to learn to think differently. And we'll say a final word for the day, and that is unusual people don't just think differently. Unusual people don't live like normal people. Say it with me. Unusual people don't live like normal people. I'll say it again, that when you take the Bible seriously, when you take the claims of Jesus seriously, you cannot possibly look like the world around you, and you need to be worried if you do. The more you love and pursue God, the more you'll be different from the world and the more you'll see your values and motivations changing. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, Dear friends, you are outsiders and strangers in this world. Anybody ever feel like that? Ever feel like an outsider and a stranger in the world? So I'm asking you not to give in to your sinful longings. They fight against your soul and people who don't believe might say that you're doing wrong. But you lead good lives among them. Then they will see your good works and they will give glory to God on the day that he comes to judge. Peter's just reminding us of something that he knew from firsthand experience. Truly following Jesus never helps you fit in. It makes you so unlike the people around you. It, it's, it makes you like strangers and aliens. It's almost like you know, you, you're from another planet when you land right in the middle of the culture that is around us today. Following Jesus makes you like that, but it makes you wonderfully like that. It makes you wonderfully unusual. You know, and just thinking about how to, how to try and drive that home, it occurred to me that, that maybe the most practical way to do that is to just to introduce you to and to highlight some of the unusual people that I know. I just want to mention a few of them to you because you'll know a lot of these folks. They're, tied, they're all tied to this church. Think about some of the unusual friends that we have. First ones that come to mind. If you've been around for very long, you've been introduced to Patrick and Eleanor Brendel. You won't see them here anytime soon because they're on the other side of the globe. They left two weeks ago to go to Turkey to live. They're young. They're in their 20s. They both look like they're about 12 or 13, but they're actually in their 20s. And they are, they're such a, a cool couple. They're just, they're two of those people that they're smart, but they're so personable. And you just ever hang around people that you're like, man, they'd be winners at anything that they did. They're just, they're, they're going to do well in life. They could have been such a success in business or whatever they, they went into. But you know what they've spent the last year doing? Preparing to go be church planters in a city of 90,000 where there are no Christian churches. And so they chose to go with a missions organization. You might think, well, you know, 
at least they'll have people supporting them and an organization you know that's behind it. They chose to go with a mission organization that provides zero financial support for what they do. They, and neither of them are independently wealthy. They chose to work with an organization that you're just required to pray and to go out and to ask other people to believe in you and churches to believe in you and help you go. And what they've spent the last two or three months doing is selling everything that they own that would not fit in three trunks. Everything they own. Sell it down to where you've got three trunks of clothing and personal belongings. And two weeks ago, yesterday, they flew out to Turkey, not for a week or a month or a year, but for Turkey. And they did not grow up speaking Turkish. They look as much like, you know, mayonnaise white Americans as I do. Going to live in Turkey until who knows when. Starting from scratch, building relationships loving people to Jesus, and there's not one ounce of a sense of, oh, pity, poor old us. They are so juiced about what they're doing. You know why? Because they're just freaks for Jesus. They are just so unusual. They, they just don't even fit in in this culture anymore because they are so in love with Jesus and in love with the idea of where we would look at that and go, oh my goodness, going in a culture where everybody's Muslim, where there's not one Christian church, how terrible. And they're going, how awesome. Everybody we meet is somebody that needs to hear the good news that we've got to share. We're in like the most wonderful pool that you could imagine. Every direction we look, it's somebody who needs what we have to give. I think about unusual people. I think about people like Mike Linton sitting in the service here today. Mike just did the, just the dumbest thing you could possibly do. He's a year away from finishing college, and he bails out of college and goes to the mission field. I mean, that's stupid, isn't it? Stupid if you're normal. There's an alternative to stupid in how you look at that. You also see that it's just highly unusual, wonderfully, powerfully unusual. To walk away from normal. I guarantee you normal is you go to that last year of school right then and you get it done and you start your career. Because that's what, surely that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to be a financial success, Mike. That's, that's what you're supposed to do. And then God could really use you. Mike heard the call of God to spend a year helping 50-something young people traipse around the world to, what, 11 different countries, going into desperate situations and sharing Christ and Mike just got thoroughly screwed up in the whole thing. I mean, he's just come back just totally upside down, unusual, in the most wonderful way. And now he's so messed up that he thinks that he may want to spend the rest of his life serving orphans in a foreign country. I mean, y'all help Mike if you can. I mean, just try and try and get him back to normal. Good luck with that. Praise God for an unusual young man who's been touched by God's work in the world. Look at my friend Nels. So unusual. Just just so unusual. I mean, he he thinks it's normal to just wake up at 4 or 4.30 every morning and spend three or four hours in prayer. How messed up is that? I mean, I spent most of my life thinking God wasn't awake at 4 or 4.30 in the morning. I just like, you know, why well, get up before him? You know, Nels is one of these people that it's like that's the start to the day. Later in the day, he'll get serious about spending some time with God. And 
who just lives his life every day looking around for who's in need that he can step in and help. Nels lives in a modest home in Foley, is somebody who deals with significant uh, physical challenges and, and issues because of, of significant heart problems and multiple heart attacks in the past and normally can't get his heart rate out of the 30s. And, you know, doctors are looking at him going, we don't really want you to leave the office. You may drop dead on your way home today. And Nell's just like, but there are people out here who need Jesus and people who I need to help. And so, you know, he's just, Nell's is the kind that, you know, you're prone to go to his house and there not to be furniture to sit on because he found somebody in need who needed furniture. And Nell's has got the attitude of, well, like, if I've got furniture and they don't, God can always give me more furniture. Nell's who doesn't live with, you know, just tons of money coming in and yet he's always got a little home where he's like you know these international students i've got a place for you to come and stay just come and stay with me that's that's just unusual normal people don't do that where does that come from i think about people like john and sally beck they're at a time in their lives when people would slow down and enjoy their grandkids and just you know really begin to enjoy traveling more and just doing more fun stuff and they're just a couple of freaks that think it's fun hanging out with people who are addicts and alcoholics and hung up on pornography and all kinds of other issues and who invest the vast majority of their free time pouring into the lives of broken people whose lives are just coming unglued and who call them all hours of the day and night pouring themselves into people who are at the most desperate places in their lives constantly opening their homes taking people in who are at the worst place, who are on the street and who really need to get clean and that nobody else would consider bringing into their home. You know, they want to lock them in a cage or something. And they're like, why don't you come and stay with us? Highly unusual. I love that God is accumulating unusual people like this in freedom. Oh, that their tribe would increase. Are you as sick as I am of normal Christians? It makes me want to throw up. It really does. Sometimes when I see me being normal, it really makes me want to throw up. You know what I mean by normal? I mean go to church, sing the song, dress the part, but make no real commitment, make no real sacrifice. Don't let there be any cost involved. Let me go to the church that meets my needs, that offers the most programs, the church that's the best for me, but don't ask anything back from me. I am sick to death of that version of marginal, give nothing away, have no clue what it means to follow Jesus kind of Christianity. The world isn't turned off to Jesus. The world is turned off to that version of Christianity where we look like the world. Can we just be clear on this? We live in the Bible Belt, and in the Bible Belt, going to church is normal. If you think being here makes you something special or unusual, it does not. Going to church is normal. You're abnormal in the Bible Belt to some extent if you have no connection to a church. What we need are for some people to realize this isn't enough. It's not enough just to claim the name of Jesus and go to church and then live like the rest of the world. Are you ready to embrace a journey towards something that's anything but normal? Are you sick of normal? 
Oh, are you sick of normal? Are you sick enough that you'd be willing to let it cost you something? Are you ready to let's dive into this book and see what it says and do what it says if it would allow us to be more like Christ and to make a bigger difference in the world? I believe that you are. I'm hungry for that. Would you join me right now as we go to the Lord together in prayer? Father, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would engage our hearts, that you would do an extraordinary work among us. I want to ask you, how many of you are believers, but if you're honest about just raising your hand, you would have to say, somewhere along the way, I have drifted from being that unusual follower of Christ to being way too normal. And I need, I need a touch from God. I need to change my life. I need to become more like that unusual person. Just raise your hand right now. If you just say, look, I am a believer who has become way too normal, way too much like the world. Father, please today touch our hearts. Change us. Begin to change the way that we think. Holy Spirit, we ask you, bring conviction in our lives. Show us where we're living like the world, how we're thinking like the world. Break our hearts over the things that grieve you in our lives and make of us an extraordinary, different kind of people. We don't want to be unusual for unusual sake. We want to be unusual in a way that's pleasing to you, God. Do a work among us, please, we pray in Jesus' name. I want to say a word to those who are listening online or who are here today that you have not come to a place yet of trusting Jesus. And you realize, listening today, that's, a, that's an unusual and strange kind of scary commitment and I just I want to point this out to you normal is destructive normal is going to lead to pain and following Jesus is not the easy path it is not the easy out but it is the one sure way to find real meaning real joy and peace in life and if today you need for the first time to get off of that road because ultimately where we started is what matters remembering that this is the road that leads to destruction. If you're ready to make that change, I want to invite you to just bow together with the whole church right now and pray with me a simple prayer. Jesus, change me. I need you. Please come into my life. Please change me from the inside. Please change how I think, how I live, and make a new person of me. I confess my sins. And I ask your forgiveness. I offer you my life. Please live through me. Father, I thank you for hearing and answering our prayers that are offered in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we pray these things in that powerful name. Amen.